My name is Sheree John. I am an alcoholic. I'm happy and grateful to be here, and thank you so much for asking me to share. My sobriety date is June 6, 1965. Uh, I got sober when I was 18. So um, I know some of you heard me before. I can't change much of what I used to be like, but what I'm like now changes constantly. And I want to thank those uh, who I sponsor and friends who have uh, shown up to support me. It's always nice to be supported in this. Now, I have no idea if I'm going to lead you down to a stream or where I'm going to lead you, but I will share my experience, strength, and hope. And wherever that takes you is where it takes you, depending on what your experience is. Um, Looking at uh, what I used to be like, I was scared. Um, I wanted acceptance and approval. I wanted to be loved. I wanted to love. I wanted to fit in. I wanted to be a part of. Um, you know, that standing on the outside and, and looking at those warm lights on the inside and wanting to be part of it. And that's kind of where I was. Um, you know, my, my first home group did a lot for me in, in many ways. Um, I got to empty ashtrays and clean, you know, wash uh, coffee cups after the meeting because we didn't have um, – that's what we drank out of and used. And everybody smoked when I got sober in 65. Um, sometimes I wonder how I made it through all of that, but I guess I was a smoker and when you smoke, you don't, ma- you know, you don't notice the smoke. It's when you stop smoking that it becomes very interesting. Um, anyway, so, you know, I got to help set up, um, <clears throat> I got to make coffee after a, a few months when they decided I was sober enough to find the coffee pot. Um, you know, and little by little I experienced many ways of being in service because I certainly didn't know anything about it when I first got here. Um, a group of us, men and women, uh, straight and gay, we hung together. You know, we kind of all came in about the same time, so we just we hung together. We went to meetings together. We would carpool to um, institutions, taking meetings, you know, that sometimes they'd be four hours away, and we'd just sit and talk all the way there and all the way back. And, um, you know, I, I'm not going to call that the good old days, but – it's days that I remember. I don't know uh, how much of that is done nowadays. I don't do that anymore. Uh, but it was certainly a, a good time for me. And uh, it, the service part of AA Gate kept me sober. Um, I, I began to feel a part of, you know. And, and those in my home group loved me until I could love myself because I certainly didn't like myself. Um, I didn't think I was lovable or acceptable or worthy of anything when I first got here. Um, but that journey took a lot of years. It didn't happen overnight. You know, I didn't walk in and five years later, I was fine. I've got to tell you, it, it took a lot, a lot of work. You know, um, I did a lot of writing. I read a lot of what I call spiritual teachers. Um, and I still write today and I still share it with people. I have to share it. I can't when my brain is not working properly, I write about it, and then I call somebody and I share it. You know, I have to continue to give it away. It's the only way that it works, you know, kind of like step four and five on a continuous basis. Uh, <clears throat> so I don't know when it happened. Uh, I don't, you know, I can't say, oh, yeah, when I was four years sober, I felt not necessarily. Um, it just kind of it happened, you know. Um, it was the result of the, the program and the fellowship. You know, I needed both, and I still do. And in case you don't know, the fellowship of, is the people in the meetings, and the program is the 12 steps, traditions, and concepts. And I need all of that um, to continue to stay sober. 
There is a difference between the spirit of the fellowship and the fellowship of the spirit. I had to learn that. When I entered AA, you know, it was the spirit of the fellowship that kind of wrapped me in a blanket of warm fuzzies and made me feel okay. <clears throat> and then I stayed sober and I started putting the steps into action. And I, I say I put it into living action because that's kind of what the way it is for me. Um, I did a lot of work on myself. I had a psychic change, uh, which means I had a change of consciousness. And I believe I said it the other night. I believe I've had more than one. I believe it's a continuous thing. I, my consciousness continues to change as I stay sober um, and hang out with you guys because you're always saying things that I've never heard before. You know, it doesn't matter how long I've been sober. People say things in different ways, you know, like when I get into the big book and I read something and something pops out at me that I may have had underlined and go, gee, where did that come from? Just, you know, I'm, I have to keep my mind open. And they talk about the three essentials, the um, willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness. Uh, and I have to have all of those. And by the way, I used to think it was uh, when people ask me how it worked, I'd say, well, you know, honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness. It says how it works. And somebody um, pointed out to me that in the back of the book where it talks about those three essentials, the way it's written is willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness. And the person that I was talking to said, well, that means it's the who it works. It's not how it works. It's who. And the who is God, and that's how it works. And I was like, oh, well, that's interesting. I like that. And so I, I continue to share it. You can use it or don't use it, whatever. Um, <coughs> so I had this change of consciousness, and I entered the fellowship of the Spirit. You know, I when I had... Um, when I went through the steps and I had this, the awakening of the spirit, I don't know that I had a spiritual awakening, but I did awaken to the spirit of love in this program. And I started learning how to carry that into everything that I did. I didn't have a good relationship with God. Um, I didn't uh, didn't even have, I certainly didn't have an understanding. Um, I didn't use the word God for at least three years, but I was told I didn't need to. Thank you. For everybody, um, I just needed a power greater in myself, so I chose the ocean. And when I would sit by it, I'd find peace. I'll get into that one a little later. Um, I got sober in Southern California, Long Beach area. There was an Alano Club, and I hung out there before the meetings and after the meetings and during weekends. I stuck close to sobriety, um, and I was so grateful that that was there. Um, I discovered I didn't need to stay sober for the rest of my life. You know, that was one of the questions I had because I was 18 when I got here. And they said I only had to do it one day at a time. And if that was too big to bring it down to 15 minutes, something I could handle. And if that was too great, bring it down to five minutes. I just had to do it for this moment. You know, don't drink right now. Uh, and by doing it one day at a time, um, I've now got 20,777 days. Um, for me, that's kind of mind-boggling. But um, I never thought that I'd be here. You know, when I first came into the program, I never thought I could stay sober this long. Um, thank God it's just one day at a time. Sobriety was a priority for me, and it still is today. You know, um, I went to any length to not drink, which included walking through um, mentally through my drunks, which my, my first sponsor told me to do. I would run to meetings when my mind was crazy. You know, my head wanted to explode with what I call drunkenness. I'd take it to a meeting. And today I still take it to a meeting. 
you know, and, and I call my sponsor a lot and I did a lot of writing. Um, I did whatever it took to stay sober. I was willing to go to any lengths. Um, yeah, I was willing to go to any lengths. I, I, so much I didn't question and so much I did question. I don't know. I didn't get the, the step 10 axiom uh, until I was about 10 years uh, sober. I'm a slow learner. I know people today in my life that have um, less than five years sober, and they understand it. They understand that there's no victims. I didn't get that. You know, up through the 10th year of my sobriety, I was still making victims out of people. I still didn't want to take responsibility for what I was thinking or what I was feeling, um, for what I was saying. I wanted to make it all your fault, and if you would change, I'd be better. And that's kind of how I live my life. Um, so little by little, you know, uh, something happened one day. I was um, I was with some guy because I was always with some guy. Anyway, he wasn't doing what I wanted him to do. And I remember thinking I was pissed because he didn't want to go to a meeting. And I, I was leaning against a, a door jam um, in the house. And it occurred to me that just because he didn't want to go to a meeting, it really wasn't any of my business. And I was the one that was disturbed. You know, and this step 10 axiom says whenever we're disturbed, no matter what the cause, um, it does say there's something wrong with us. But I've changed that to I need to look at me because I don't think there's anything wrong with us. Um, I, I don't get into the rights and wrongs in any of the, the program. I don't say I do the next indi- uh, the next right thing because it means there's a next wrong thing. I do the next indicated thing. Um, I don't get into the judgments about stuff. It just uh, it that's how it works for me. You know, so anyway, I learned about the uh, the step 10 axiom and <clears throat> realized that if you said something and I felt hurt, that was my deal. It wasn't yours, you know, or um, if I got angry at something you said, you know, that was inside me as well. I, I realized that it was all inside of me. It really wasn't outside that I'm in charge of how I feel and what I think. I'm in charge of what I do and what I say. You know, it's my responsibility to look at all of that, to be aware of all of that. My reactions to all the things about you is just that, my reactions. And it took me a long time to, to get it. Um, I had a sponsor in the 70s and 80s, I think early 80s, um, who told me one question that I needed to ask myself. It was the only question I ever needed to ask myself. And that was, what am I doing with me right now to make me feel this way? Now, what are you doing right now to make me feel this way? But what am I doing right now to make me feel this way? What am I doing with me right now to make me feel the way I'm feeling? And, it, you know, it's like when I first got in, they told me it, when I point one finger, I got three pointing back. That's the step 10 axiom. You know, I'm those three fingers pointing back is me. I'm the one that's doing it. So it, it took me a while. But, you know, I, I got it pretty much today. So I know that whenever I'm disturbed, no matter what the cause, I have to look at me. It's as simple as that. I am responsible today for what's going on inside of me. Of course, I was always responsible. I just didn't want to be. I wanted you to be responsible so that I could play victim and make it your fault and not be responsible. But the program has given me the tools. When you stay around long enough, something changes, you know. Um, I know people in early sobriety that actually, as I said, I know the people that in sobriety that actually understand that today and I have some friends and I, I always look at them amazed and going god you you got that so early you saved yourself so much trouble you know so much uh, pain 
Uh, but the great thing is, as long as I stay sober, there's more to learn. There's always more to learn. Some of the things that have happened to me in sobriety, you know, my mom died. I was about 13 years sober. She was very instrumental in my early sobriety. She had gotten sober in 1960 and had about five years sober when I uh, came in myself. I learned much about faith from her. She had a, a faith in God that I'll probably never reach, but I had a faith in her faith, and that kind of kept me going. Um, and she trusted God to the nth degree. Um, I think I pretty much do today, but it, it took a while to get there. You know, um, she helped me. She, she was kind of like, she helped me as, as like the cornerstone of my sobriety. The stuff that I learned from her in my early sobriety, which was from, you know, from one to seven, I guess, or maybe one to ten. I don't know. But somewhere along the line. The stuff I learned from her was like a cornerstone, and I built off from that. Um, so she died in 1976, so I guess, or no, 1978, yeah. So I would have been 13 years sober. Um, I lost custody of my daughter for six years. Now I'm sober. Most people lose custody of their kids when they're drinking, but I was sober uh, because her father decided that I was not stable, he didn't like the way I was living my life. I had gone traveling with my mom for a couple of years and put my daughter with a set of grandparents, and he decided that wasn't a good thing to do. So um, <clears throat> he decided I was just totally unwrapped, uh, you know, and as I look back, I, I guess I was. But at that point in time, it was just something that I needed to do. Um, in sobriety, I received a black eye from this man, and I got my front teeth knocked out. Now, we're both sober, you know. I'm somewhere within the, you know, first five years of sobriety. So i got to say, just because you're not drinking doesn't make you well. Uh, I had to do a lot of praying for this man to forgive and move on. And it probably took me about seven years of forgiveness prayers for him. Uh, but we ended up being friends. Um, he stayed sober. Uh, well, I'll just say he didn't drink. <laughs> He stayed sober until, let me see, I guess just before his 53rd birthday, he died. Uh, but we were friends up to then. So, you know, the program gives me the tools to use to heal things going on in my life if I want to use them. If I don't, you know, then I just keep them. Um, I've gone through a lot of depressions um, and sobriety. One was when I was living in Hawaii, and I always I laugh at that because, you know, who can be depressed in Hawaii? But I was. Mostly because I didn't want to be there, and I had to be there. And it, uh, it was a, probably a month or two, and I remember every morning waking up, and I'd have this, uh, it felt like this black cloud. And I remember one time thinking, if I just don't open my eyes, I won't see it, and I'll be okay. But I opened my eyes, and it's like it just descended on me, and it did this day after day. And so what I did with it uh, is made um, – gratitude list. I would write a gratitude list every day and I would carry that with me to work. And, you know, I made it through the period. I, uh, by the grace of God, I didn't drink. I didn't want to kill myself, um, you know, but it was really a rough time. In fact, the only time that I ever thought about killing myself was I had eight years sober and I was quitting smoking, you know, and it, for me, stopping cigarettes was far more, um, difficult than it was to let go of the alcohol and and I remember driving down this road I was in Hawaii 
And it, it just, you know, if I thought, I remember so vividly, if I just keep going straight, you know, and I could go like off the cliff. But I turned and I didn't. Um, but that's the only time I can remember ever going, you know, let me out of here. I've had more relationships um, than most people can count. Um, there's certainly no grass, no grass grew under my feet in between. Um, I went from one to the other because I wanted to love and be loved. I, I was searching for love in all the wrong places. My picker was certainly broken, that's for sure. Um, but I finally did marry uh, about 13 years sober. He had only about nine months, I think. <laughs> I robbed the cradle. We were together for 25 years. He was in, in the program, and um, we just kind of grew apart. You know, life just happened to us, and we grew apart. And, and it wasn't uh, it wasn't the worst of divorces, and it wasn't the best of divorces. Um, but because we were in the program, you know, it it was it could have been a lot worse. It could have been a lot worse. Um, you know, today, um, I'm happy and, and he spent the last 18 years happy. The lady that he was with, uh, died recently, uh, and we've always remained friends. So, you know, this program gives me tools to use to not have anger issues with my past. I don't have to bring my past into my present and muck it up. I can go back and I can use these tools and I can go and, and forgive my past and heal the past so that when I start new with somebody, I'm starting new with somebody. I'm not bringing my past into my present, you know, and I used to do that all the time. The relationship I have today is fabulous. Um, he's an Al-Anon. He wasn't when I met him. Um, he's not an alcoholic. He joined Al-Anon after we got together. You know, we talk to each other. We listen to each other. Oh, my God. You know, we agree to disagree when necessary. We're both very strong personalities, and we have our ways of doing things. And I've learned so much from him, mostly about giving. You know, it's, it's something for me because I've always been selfish and self-centered to the extreme. And, and, you know, it's all about me. And, I'm you know, I think about me. And even today, I, I have to... Um, I have to really work on that and, and really be aware, but it comes natural to him. So I get to learn from him. You know, we go to the grocery store like Costco and somebody says, uh, do you want a box? And he says, oh, no, thank you. But thank you for asking. And, you know, the first time I heard that, I went, oh, I never thought of saying thank you for asking to anybody. I mean, I figure that's their job, you know. But I've learned from him, and so now when somebody asks me that, I can say thank you for asking. I think about those things, you know. Um, you know, we, we also tell each other how much we appreciate each other, um, how much we appreciate what we're doing for each other. You know, there's there's no, um, this is your job, and this is, you know, we don't have jobs. We just do stuff. But I've learned to say thank you, you know. Uh, I've learned to say thank you for doing whatever. Um it's just, and part of it, not only is it because I've been hanging around with him, but it's because of the program, because we both put the program into living action, you know. Um, yeah, without the tools that was laid at my feet 56 years ago, I certainly wouldn't be here and I wouldn't have the relationship that I do, you know. And a lot of it has to do with God, you know, that God that I didn't even want to talk about. Um, some other things that have happened to me in sobriety, of course, I've lost lots of pets. Um, I'm a cat person. I love cats. They happen to die. Um, and when they do, I go get another one. I've moved a lot. Um, I've had a lot of jobs because I've moved a lot. And um, 
I had to learn how to trust God and stuff, you know. And I've been so angry at God at times that um, I, I didn't want to speak to him, that I've cussed him out, you know. F you, you son of a gun. Um, I didn't say it that way exactly, but um, I said it worse. But anyway, um, you know, I would yell and scream at him. And, and um, But God never moved. God never went away. He didn't care, the God that I have today. Uh, and I'm so grateful for that, you know. Um my dad died uh, a few years back, and during COVID, running around to meetings, thanks to Carol, um, she's gotten me going to meetings in all places, uh, near and far. But um, I heard somebody talking about amends, and I realized that I owed my dad an amends from when I was 16 years old, and it never occurred to me that I owed him this amends. Now, this is like within the last two years, so what? 55 years sober, and I'm going, geez, I owe my dad an amends from when I'm 16. What this says for me is that um, there's never a time when I'm done, you know. There's never a time when I'm done doing the steps. Uh, things crop up. You just never know. Actually, during COVID, I discovered I owed my sister some amends. I owed uh, my daughter some amends. Um, things that were just gone that I'd never thought of. But when somebody said something, it triggered a bell, and I got to look at it and was able to make amends in all those areas. So am I done with amends? I don't know. You know, I I can't think of anybody consciously that I still owe an amends to, but you never know what's around the corner. Somebody's going to say something sometime, and I'm going to go, oops, I forgot that one. Um, you know, it's so it's like ongoing. Um <clears throat> So I'm, I went actually, he, he's buried, my dad was buried uh, about eight hours away from me down Riverside, California. So I went to his grave and I had a good talk with him, um, you know, and I made amends to him. And, you know, uh, sometimes life just comes at, at me fast and sometimes it sucks, you know, but so far I've not found anything to drink over. And miracles happen. Not only do other, you know, kind of negative things, but miracles happen. So that time when I was 16, um, I happened to have been pregnant. And my dad put me in a home for unwed mothers in Los Angeles. Now, I was wed, but I wasn't wed to the baby's father. And that's another story that maybe someday I'll tell somebody. Um, you know, but anyway, alcoholics are really interesting, the lives that, that we lead, believe me. So I had this baby boy. And I put him up for adoption, and that was in 1964. In January of this year, my daughter, who is into ancestry stuff, connected with him. Um, and uh, near the end of May, I'm going to travel to Baltimore and meet him and his family. So, you know, he's now 58. So you just never know what's going to happen. Never know. I would never have thought that any of, anything like that would have ever happened, even though I always left the door open for him to find me if that's what he wanted to do. Um, some of what I'm like now, you know, I have a motto that works for me really well. It's, it's make plans and become ready for instant change. Uh, this way I don't get caught up into the way I think things should be. You know, I have to stay open there. There again, it's that willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness, the open-mindedness. I have to stay open to whatever's going on just because I, I wake up in the morning and I think, okay, this is what's going to happen. And I walk out the door, you know, it changes. I got to be ready for the change and go with it. And what that making plans and becoming ready for instant change does for me, it brings me in the now and it keeps me from um, having a reaction and expectations. 
You know, one of the things early on, uh, I, I've read many spiritual teachers, and uh, one, um, Ken Keyes, way back when, talked about preferences and addictions in his books. And <clears throat> and I've never forgotten it. I can't remember. He had 12 pathways, too, and I, I can't remember all of them. But I do remember the, the addictions and the preferences because what happens is, and that goes along with making plans, too, if I am addicted to having air in my tire and I have a flat tire, I'm going to get angry. I'll get out and kick it and yell and scream or whatever. I eventually have to change the tire, but I'm going to have all of that anger and negative emotion. If I prefer to have air in the tire and I get a flat tire, I just change it. I don't have any of that drama behind it. So I've always remembered that when I find myself reacting to something. Am I addicted to some way that it should be, you know, or would I prefer to have it a different way? So I have to keep, you know, I have to keep changing. And um, and God is always in charge. And, yeah, God is in charge of my life today. You know, I've learned to see and experience God as my employer um, and jobs as assignments given to me to be of love and service. You know, the big book does say God is my employer, being all powerful. Um, I tried practicing that early on. Uh, I started practicing that early on when I, I had about oh, maybe five, six years sober, seven years sober. Um, when I was in Miami, Florida in a, in a Lana club and somebody asked me what I did for a living. And I said, I worked for my father. And they said, oh, really, what does he do? And I said, well, he runs the universe, you know. <clears throat> And that was my beginning of acting as if God was my employer, you know. And so what I, I learned to do was to see God as my employer and the jobs that I had as my assignments, that God was the source and supply, and the job was just the channel through which it worked. And that if I went into the assignment with the attitude of being of love and service, my life went a lot better. Um, you know, I would, as I said, I moved a lot, and so I was always looking for work. Um, and, uh, you know, I never learned the lesson right away, but uh, I'd step into a, uh, a new place, and I'd figure out how much money I thought I was supposed to make and how I was supposed to get it, and I'd go out looking for work for that with that kind of an attitude, and I never would find anything. And after I was tired of beating my head against the wall, I'd get back, and I'd go, okay, God, you know, this is your this is your deal. Just put me someplace where I can be of the most love and service and, you know, do whatever. I'll do whatever. Whatever I get paid is whatever I get paid. And damned if I wouldn't get a job. And it would be the exact amount of money I needed, and it was where I could be of the most love and service. And I still do that today. Not I'm retired today. Um, you know, I don't know what that means exactly um, because I certainly still have a lot of assignments. I just don't get paid money for them anymore. Um, I get paid in sobriety, you know, peace of mind, joy, uh, but I'm busier than ever. Um, I've learned a deeper understanding of step 10. You know, steps 10 through 12 are not maintenance steps, even though some people say they are. And I guess you could look at them as that, but they're really growing steps, you know. And, and the, the paragraph, uh, the, when you get into step 10, it says, we have entered the world of the spirit. Our next function is to grow in understanding and effectiveness. This is not an overnight matter. It should continue for our lifetime. So for me, it's a, it, they're growing steps. You go from step 10, and then in that paragraph, it walks you through all the rest of, you know, steps one through nine um, of what we have to do, you know, um, 
We continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. Step four, when these crop up, we ask God at once to remove them. Uh, <clears throat> you know, the uh, we discuss them with someone else immediately. Step five, I mean, it just goes on and on. That paragraph has got so much stuff in it. You know, and of course, step 11 and 12 is, is what we do um, to maintain. We continue to improve our conscious contact with God. We're not, it doesn't say we, we continue to maintain our conscious contact with God. It says we improve our conscious contact, you know, and we're always out being of service to others and practicing these principles in all our affairs. And you can't do that on a maintenance level. You have to do it on a continuous level, on a growing level, because for me anyway, I change constantly, absolutely constantly. Um, going back to God, you know, I, I had this God that I didn't like. Um, and for not liking him or using the word, thank God I didn't have to use the word. I just needed a power greater in myself. So the ocean was set. You know, my feelings changed um, thanks to this program. I, I had so many gods growing up, you know, booze, men, money, friends, uh, people, places and things were my God. You know, I ran my life based on what I thought they thought wanted of me, you know, so I had to to go through that. And the church God was a punishing God, keeping score and making, you know, uh, things down. And, and that's what I came into the program with, that kind of God that was, you know, up in the sky. I wonder why we put him up in the sky. But anyway, some, somehow or rather we get him up in the sky. Um, so when I found I didn't need to use the word God and just needed a power greater, uh, and I realized that the ocean was a power greater. So, I made the ocean my God. And besides, when I spent a lot of time around it, I was peaceful. It gave me a, a feeling of peace. And uh, even if I was angry and I yelled and screamed at it, I would always feel better, you know. Um, and I would watch it and I'd analyze it. And <clears throat> one day, you know, it's like the truth hit me as I was watching. I was watching the waves ebb and flow and, and then they'd fall back into the ocean. And some of the waves were soft and calm gently touching the shore and others were full of energy and crashing you know but no matter how each wave expressed itself it folded back into the ocean it went back to the ocean and then I saw really clearly you know how each wave was the ocean expressing as a wave and I could finally see how I and God uh, were together, you know, I was God expressing as myself, and there's no part of me where God is not, and there's no part of a wave where the ocean is not, you know, we're all one, it's all connected, I let go of that punishing God, the ocean doesn't punish the wave, you know, I let go of the idea of God and me, and just like the wave is the ocean expressing as, um, the ocean is the wave expressing as the ocean, I am God expressing as myself and I, I express every day you know sometimes it's quiet and sometimes it's not um you know but um no matter what the expression you know god and i are one we're together um and that's you know that's the god of my understanding today from having no god to having that um that's what works in my life it's been a long time coming um but it works really well um looking at the time uh, some of the tools that I use to stay sober, you know, my brain still gets weird, uh, but not as often. Um, I still take my brain to a meeting, you know, I take my mind to a meeting. It, it tells me that drinking is only 5% of the problem. 
the other is 95% is my, my living, my thinking, you know, my being. And I've got to, I just take that thinking part because for some reason that little 5% brain makes the other 95% crazy, you know. So I got to take the brain to a meeting and I listen to people and it, no matter what I think my problem is, when I go to a meeting, I find answers that I didn't even know I was looking for. You know, I get touched by people. I, I learn constantly. You know, uh, I'm never done. It's a we program. I I still use the phone a lot. You know, I write about things. My first sponsor taught me to write. Writing is very, very important. When in step 10, when you say something to me and you push a button, I got to write about it. Because you've pushed a button that's inside of me. It's not your button. It's my button. And I want to find out where it started so I can go back and forgive it. Because I hate bringing my past into my present. You know, and that's the only way I know to do it is to write. And then I share it with somebody so that um, I get a different perspective. Because I always, you know, I think that, oh, good, I see this really clear, you know. But I need somebody else in my life that I talk to that can actually clear the glasses, you know, clean my my focus off. And I and I can look at it and go, oh, that's what that means. You know, so it's I continue to change. You know, um, I need to stay active. I've, I've got to keep it green. That's why I keep showing up in meetings. Um, I've got to continue to grow. There's no recovery without change and there's no continued recovery without continued change. And I cannot continue to change if I sit at home by myself in my head. <clears throat> well, I could probably change, but it wouldn't be for the better. Um, so if I want to continue to grow in understanding and uh, with this program, I have to continue showing up at meetings and listen to people and, and keep those three essentials, you know. Um, there are so many promises in the big book. Every time I re- we were in the uh, reading in the uh, chapter to the wives today, I was absolutely surprised. There's so many promises in that chapter. And when I first got sober, I didn't read that chapter because I wasn't a wife. So it didn't didn't apply to me. I also didn't read the chapter to the employers because I wasn't an employer. That didn't apply to me. I kind of went with the agnostics, um, but I kind of figured, well, I believed in God. But, you know, uh, another thing about the book, as I said, there's a lot of promises. There's prayers. There's musts. There's all kinds of stuff. Don't ever... Listen to anybody who say there's no must in AA because there's tons of them. Um, but I, I came from um, the period of time where people did not sit down and read books with each other. I was handed the big book. I was told to read it, highlight it, and come talk to me if you have any questions. And that's what I did. And I did that with the 12 and 12. Um, and it, it worked for me. You know, I managed to stay sober. Now, of course, I didn't go through the whole book from the beginning to the end. I, you know read bits and pieces but I and I read mostly the stories because that's where I got my identification um when I first got sober I was you know people told me I was too young to be an alcoholic uh they they drank more than I spilt and or they spilt more than I drank yeah that's where it goes um you know but somebody said listen for feelings and I listened for feelings because I didn't drink like everybody else I hated hard liquor I drank beer and slow gin when I could get it um, and I, my blackouts, I blacked out every single time, but I didn't have days of blackouts. I didn't get on a plane and go to some other country. You know, I just blacked out on my way home, not remembering how I got there. So I was, you know, very much a high bottom drunk. But anyway, I keep going through the book. My home group is a book study. Uh, we read both the big book and the 12 and 12 and, you know, continue to go through it. And I continue to learn. 
you know, a forgiveness is something, like I said, the, um, it's a big deal for me. You know, I, I have to continue keeping forgiveness at the forefront because when people push my buttons and I react, what that tells me is there's something there that that there, a reaction or is a refeeling, but that means that there's got to be a forgiveness at the end of that. So that I, if I don't want to continue to react to this particular button being pushed, I need to find out what it is. I need to go back and I need to forgive and I work on forgiveness. You know, uh, my mom used to tell me, um, you know, if you have to just say bless you, you son of a bitch, at least it's the beginning of a prayer, you know, and eventually you say it long enough. Eventually you can just say bless you and mean it. You know, you don't always have to mean it when you start, but you got to start somewhere. Uh, somewhere along the line, I came up with a forgiveness prayer for me, which, you know, I'll just use my ex, uh, not the, um, I'll use my father's daughter, my daughter's father, because he created lots of havoc in my life. But so for like seven years, I used this prayer on him. Every time somebody did something or said something that reminded me of him, I would get quiet and I would say, I forgive you, Ray. I forgive you, Ray. I forgive you, Ray. Please forgive me my shortcomings. And I did that, if I had to do it five times a day or ten times a day, I would do it. And eventually, I didn't react to those things anymore. Eventually, forgiveness took place. That's a gift from God. You know, it wasn't something that I said, okay, this is how I'm going to get forgiveness. I just did that, and that works for me. You know, I've learned over the years that it's important. It's not always important to understand what needs to be forgiven. But if I'm disturbed, forgiveness is in there somewhere, and I need to, you know, to get off of it. Um, I am absolutely committed to Alcoholics Anonymous. I jumped in with both feet. I still am in with both feet. Um, you know, it's not it's not like it encompasses my entire life because I've learned to take the principles of the program and take it out into the world. Um, I'm a dancer. I've taught dancing. I've danced in bars. Um, it's amazing how many people who dance who don't drink, you know, because they want, they want to be balanced. You know, you can't drink and balance at the same time. Um, so I have friends in all walks of life, and thanks to Zoom, I have friends all over the world. I'm going to say thanks to Carol, you know, because she's drugged me everywhere. And it's just Alcoholics Anonymous is so special. Because we never have to be alone unless we want to. You know, I mean, if my husband died, I wouldn't have to be alone. My cats die, I don't have to be alone. My dad died, I didn't have to be alone. No matter what goes on in my life, I do not have to be alone unless I choose to. You know, I can't do this program alone. Even at 56 years, I'll celebrate 57 in another month. Um, I can't do that alone. I need you guys just as much as I did when I first got sober. There is no place when I'm done. I said that earlier. I can't say, okay, I don't have to do anything else anymore. I don't have to work any more steps. I don't have to go to any more meetings. It's That's just not the way it works for me. It could be that way. I know people who do that. But I like being happy, joyous, and free. I like having peace of mind. I like feeling the God of my understanding in my life on a continuous basis, you know, and I like having friends all over the world that I can call up and say, hi, how are you doing? And that I think I've learned more than anything else is when I am down and out and 
the the day is sucky and life just is, you know, coming at me fast and I don't know what to do. I've got to pick up that phone and call somebody and go, hey, how are you? What's what's going on with you? I have to get out of myself. I don't call them up and go, oh, God, I'm so miserable. I've got to talk to somebody. Sometimes I do. But generally what I do is call them up and ask them what they're doing and how they're doing. It's the beginning of getting me out of me. I am so grateful that I am an alcoholic. I am so grateful that I have tools to use. AA gave me God. God gave me AA. You know, it's a combo. I can't live without any of it. You know, it's just, it's a fascinating adventure into myself, even today after 56 years. And I hope it continues that way. I can't imagine it not continuing that way um, because I stick close to AA. I stick close to the people and um, God sticks close to me. And I think that that's probably about my time. So thank you all for being here and listening. I appreciate you all.